Hello and welcome to Parkinson's Pathway Pals Tuesdays with Teresa. I'm Teresa Jackson, your podcast host. Today my guest is Tim Haig. Tim Haig Sr. overcame the odds when he went from a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease to winning season number one of the Amazing Race Canada. Tim earned his registered nurse designation in 1995 and he has cared for many Parkinson's patients throughout his career. In addition, Tim's adopted father also had Parkinson's disease, which added to the deep understanding and compassion that Tim holds for people living with the disease. He watched people die in despair working as a nurse, and he also witnessed his father live in victory despite his ongoing suffering with the disease called Parkinson's. His legacy of determination and courage is what motivates him to both follow in his example and to help others live their best. As a highly sought after speaker, Tim shares his, with his audiences the lessons learned from having run and won the amazing race with Parkinson's. Tim's unique history as a retired nurse, entrepreneur, Parkinson's advocate and patient provides rich insight to his message of live your best. The message is wrapped in an idea of having the strength to do your best the courage to be content with what your best produces, and the will to persevere. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Teresa. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to talk to you for a whole number of reasons. Um, One thing, we watch The Amazing Race every time it's on, uh, and then we can, we have the opportunity. My daughter and my husband want to do it so bad and have for a long time. So I'm pretty excited to uh, talk to you about some of the details about that. But also, we need to talk a little bit about, you know, the disease Parkinson. So let's start off. Um, I read that your diagnosis started, or not the diagnosis, but the disease, or you noticing the disease with a tremor in your left toe, your big toe. And I've heard of uh, young onset frequently with just like a tremor in their finger, something was odd. Um, they knew something was like weird, but never imagined that it was Parkinson's. I know that it started in August of 2010 and that you weren't diagnosed until um, February of 2011 with young onset Parkinson's disease. So I'd like for you to share the process that you went through before you were actually diagnosed. And while that probably seems like a long time from August to February, that's actually a pretty short time for somebody that has young. You obviously were seeing some physicians that were in tune to Parkinson's, were familiar, were exposed, were educated in that area because I have interviewed people and talked to lots and lots of young onset people that... um, it, it was years before they were diagnosed. So tell, talk to our audience about that, um, the process that you personally went through to get your diagnosis. Well, thanks. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. That is a very short time frame. And I'm not going to give any credit to any doctors. I'm going to take all the credit myself. All right. Because uh, I had been a nurse for 18 years at that point, thereabouts. And like uh, you said, my dad had Parkinson's. I also had a half sister with MS. So as soon as I was sit there watching that morning, watching my left big toe just twitch away, you know, a little rhythmic twitch, could almost not even feel it. It was so slight. But it would I looked down and there it was. And then I could make it stop. As soon as I let it go, it would just take off again. And I knew within the first five minutes that this was likely some kind of neurological problem. 
So uh, I, I actually just put it off. I ignored it for a while because uh, my wife and I had just passed our 25th wedding anniversary and I didn't want to bug her with something. You know, we had a trip to Europe planned in the next couple of months. So I figured that I would wait till after that trip was done to, to, to say anything about it. Well, it got worse on the trip, of course, right? Travel and stress and whatnot. And so I ended up telling her and then we came back home and I sat down with my uh, GP who had been my doctor for years and he uh, referred me to a movement disorder specialist. And we're quite fortunate that we have a, a few here in Winnipeg and um, I was diagnosed in February, which yeah, from August to February is very short time frame for you, especially yeah. for young onset because so many physicians, especially family uh, GPs will, will look past it, right? Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Interesting enough, uh, my symptoms um, started, they started long before August, but I began to notice them and they were bothersome enough that I went to the doctor in August. I was also diagnosed in February, different years, but the same kind of time frame. But I felt very lucky that I was diagnosed so quickly as well, because it allowed me to, to access the care and the treatment that I needed in order to live, uh, you know, a quality life um, because I was diagnosed quicker. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, as a prior nurse, first off, I'm very surprised that you had exposure to so many Parkinson's patients and perhaps um, you were fortunate in that way because I've talked to many, many nurses, um, providers from, you know, PAs, nurse practitioners, and even um, other, other uh, physicians that talk about how little education and exposure that they have to Parkinson's patients. So having, having had, you know, a, an, an adoptive father that had it and having treated many Parkinson's patients, how frightening was that? Or can you describe what that was like to know what was coming with this diagnosis? Well, yeah, it was, uh, it was unnerving to say the least. I was not impressed. Um, but I think you did go into your own little bit of denial, right? You push it all back and you say, well, this isn't going to happen to me. I'm not going to let this happen to me and I'm, I'm not going to deal with it. Um, and yeah. the truth is, early on, I just said, I'm going I'm to set this on a shelf and ignore it. I didn't do what I should have done. Uh, I actually stopped running and stopped cycling, stopped doing a lot of stuff I should have done. And I didn't start my medication for three years because I was of the mindset, I'm a nurse, I'm gonna take care of myself here. I'm not gonna be a, jump into interventions right off the hop. I'm gonna, I'm gonna control this thing, right? And it was just dumb all the way around <laughs> because I think yeah. I could I think that life could have been a lot easier and nicer in a number of ways had I handled it better off the hop. Well, you know, you mentioned denial and boy, did I have a big case of denial as well, but there's the whole grief process. And part of that is denial, right? I don't have this. And even after you're diagnosed and even if you start some medication and you have those really good days, so much so good that you forget to take your medicine and your symptoms haven't really returned. You think, Ooh, maybe they're wrong. You know, you, you're, you live in that area of denial for a while. And then I talk a lot about, I speak a lot about that gap between what we wanted and what we have, but the acceptance of that and the work that happens between that gap, that's where you really um, are able to come to grips with what's happening and gain a little more control back, I think. 
but denial is certainly part of many of our walks, I think. There's lots of control we have, um, but it's, uh, it's only when we acknowledge where we're really at in life and come to terms with it. Right. And understand what the process likely is. I mean, with young onset, it's typically slow moving. And I always hated that when my doctor said that because nothing feels slow moving to us, right? Any new symptom is a nightmare. It is, it's come way too fast in life and just yeah. is, is frustrating to us, but it is slow moving compared to lots. So with that in mind, if we do stay active, if we do keep running, we keep exercising, keep doing the things that we're normally doing, we're staving off it coming even even quicker. Yeah. And yeah, that's the, the scary part. Yeah. And the, the research is firm in that, right? There's been yes. lots of research done that says uh, exercise will slow the disease, if not outright stop it. So anyone young onset, I always stress wherever I wherever I'm speaking that you've got to stay active. You've got and whatever activity level you're at, you need to increase it as much as you can because yeah. it will make a huge difference. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, the whole part of having uh, rigidity in your joints and stuff, it's, it's critically important to keep moving. I, I want to come back to some of the uh, Parkinson's discussion here in a minute, but I'd like to pivot a little bit and I'd like to talk to you about the race. I know when in your TED talk, you mentioned, you know, that uh, you feel like you're rarely at rest. And during the race, I know in watching, um, many episodes of the amazing race that just managing the stress of not being at rest inconsistency with sleep managing your you know your medications I can't even imagine what it's like for someone that doesn't have Parkinson's but trying to rest when you can because that's not always an option for us right those of us living with Parkinson's so talk to me about how all that was for you how do you manage your medicines your rest and all the stress well, the amazing, thing, the amazing thing is that I look back on the race now and I was so much better then than I am now. Um, it was, I, first of all, I wasn't taking any medication then because I did I waited three years to, before I started the NEDS. So that was after the race. So I didn't have that to deal with. And we ran so hard every day. You'd run between 12 and 14 hour days. By the time we got back to our hotel or wherever we were staying, I just collapsed. I was exhausted. Yeah. yeah. And, um, People often ask me, I just asked again here the other day, if you had the opportunity, would you run the race again? And I, I always say the same thing. My, I want my answer to be yes, absolutely. I would love to, but I don't, I'm not convinced I could because yeah. it's a, uh, it's a different animal and it's not like, um, I've, I've run one triathlon, sprint distance triathlons and running the race was much, much harder than that. Uh, it seems it was, grueling, like all the travel and the, the hours are long and inconsistent, and um, it seems pretty grueling to me. I I recently rode my bike across Virginia, my bicycle. That's great. That, that's great. Congratulations. Thank Here's you. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I, I rode it for a couple of reasons. I wanted to try and raise some money mm -hmm. for research but also I'm not a cyclist and I'm definitely not a runner but I wanted to do something that I thought would really push myself and I, I didn't feel like I could 
run a half marathon or a marathon because I'm just not a runner. And I think the, I don't think I have the stamina for that. But riding my bike in segments, I thought I could, but riding 50 miles in a day is pretty tough for someone that's not, you know, used to that. So um, I can't even begin to imagine what the race was. How many days was it? How, how long was the race? We ran most of May back then. Oh my God. Yeah. So almost a month. Yeah, it was a long time. And we actually came in shorter than anticipated because we didn't have any rain days. So wow. yeah, it, it's tough. And I don't know that I could do it again because um, now the, the dyskinesias, the, the, the amount of tremors I have, just the, the fatigue, everything is so much more. Mm -hmm. so nine years later, yeah, I, I just don't know that I'd be able to make it. No. I have a lot of fatigue too. And it's that, it's that, um, it's that symptom that's hard to manage. Physicians just seem to have a lot of trouble managing that. I can't imagine how special it was, though, to, to run that race with your the partner that you did run it with. I rode my bike with my son mm -hmm. and, so, and my cyclist trainer. And so um, I know how, even though mine was very short, it was five days, I know how special that is. My husband was in the, the truck behind us, you know, as a safety thing. Um, so tell me about that. Tell me about running the race with your son. Well, it's like, it was just really cool. It was um, a great experience with, with a great bonding time. We got to know each other better probably than we ever had. And um, it's, a, it's an experience uh, of a lifetime that, you know, he and I alone share. Yeah, and, uh, that's really cool. very special. Very special. First father son team to have won, and um, you know it, it. It was just cool. Uh, it was super fun. Uh, he was. It showed us that we needed each other in different ways than we ever imagined. Uh, yeah. You know, um, I needed him to get me through a couple of things that you know. Oftentimes, dads don't want to have to call on their kid, you know, to help sure. them. But I definitely needed him on a couple of occasions to to get me through a, a task. And so it was very, very nice. And so here recently, we were called on again uh, to do a little interview for CTV here, a television station for the race. And that's just fun. It's, it keeps on giving, you know? Yeah. yeah. So Yeah. Tell me what was the uh, one thing that was unexpected during the race? Or was there anything unexpected for you? It wasn't a lot unexpected, no. Um, we, we really did our homework. We, we like you, we were bit of fanatics we watched all every season that we could get our hands on um we knew how the race was run we knew what to pretty much anticipate um yeah so there wasn't a whole lot uh, surprising to it yeah yeah that's uh that's cool though to, to have had the opportunity to do that with your with your son oh yeah and you, you said your family members would like to like to do it well they gotta apply you just have to give it a yeah go. Well, they, they haven't, they haven't applied. I don't know if they will or not, but I know they talk about it a lot. They really, they really would like to. Have to stop talking and do. And, and do it, right? That's yeah. right. Awesome. Well, I'm going to pivot back around again uh, and talk a little bit about something that's a little bit less fun and that's Parkinson's disease, but certainly needed. And we want to provide on, on my show, I want to provide education for people and I want to provide hope and encouragement for people. 
You mentioned one thing during your TED talk that um, was interesting to me. You said that Parkinson's can be embarrassing. For me, and when my son read my book, when he was uh, reading it for edit reasons, he read my book. um, He said the hardest thing for him was that I said in my book how there was a sense of shame Mm-hmm. that I had Parkinson's and I don't know where that came from you know I knew I hadn't done anything to create or cause Parkinson's in my life but I think it's that shame is from worrying about the embarrassment of what will it be like when I you know when I progress and maybe I can't feed myself in a restaurant or whatever or maybe we can't go because of dyskinesia or other reasons mm-hmm. so talk to me a little bit about some of the things that you've had to endure that may have been embarrassing that uh, might help someone out there listening? Well, to date, I've not had really bad symptoms uh, that are unmanageable in public. I am pretty good at hiding things. <laughs> and I've had doctors comment on it. People within the community comment on what I'm speaking because they'll, they'll see my tremor and they'll see how I'm covering it. I'm always fascinated by those folks if they're that astute, but uh, they they are. And um, yeah, you know, I don't want to run into things like drooling. Uh, You know, you don't want to run into incontinence or or all the things that could be the, I've always wondered with the folks with really bad dyskinesia, how they manage, what what they're doing. Because in public, they're just all over the place. And yet they manage to to continue to go, to continue to be out and to manage their mental health and their mental state with that. And I I commend them for it because we don't want to let this disease uh, lock us in our homes. We don't want to shut in. And we have to come to terms with um, who we are with the disease, that the disease isn't us. And I I don't like these people. And I used to be one who say, you know, the the disease doesn't um, define me. It doesn't define my life. And I'm like, well, 11 years in, I'll tell you what, folks, it has defined my life. It, it set very clear parameters on my life. It's cost me my job. It's cost me a number of things. And um, it, it, it does make a difference. But does that mean it is in control, that, that I am the disease? No. No, it's not in control and it doesn't have final say. I do get a say in it all, but, um, but it does impact me. And so I, I recognize that, I admit that, I live with that, and then I find who I am within that reality. And the, fa- and the reality within that is that I'm a guy who still speaks all over North America. I'm still a guy who wrote a book that has sold phenomenally well all over, all over the world. I'm still a guy who started and ran a wellness center for people with Parkinson's. It has people from all over Canada attend it. And um, I'm still a guy who helped start a global alliance around the world that's impacting people with Parkinson's. So yeah, I sit here and I'm squirmy and I don't like that. (laughs) I don't like my tremors and I don't like a lot of the things that come along with Parkinson's, but Parkinson's has been a lot of fun. The things that have come with Parkinson's has been a lot of fun and Parkinson's has still to date given me far more than it's taken. I hear people say that and I, I absolutely can agree. You know, there's things that have happened in my life and people that I have met that I would never, never have come across had I not developed Parkinson's. I do want to 
step back for just a second and talk about things that may help happen to others that haven't happened to us or in terms of embarrassing things. <laughs> I have watched people with dyskinesia and it is a struggle for them. I have a, you know, I've watched people that fall frequently. That is embarrassing for them. But the thing that, you know, I have encouraged others and hopefully I can um, stand up and do the same thing if I have, you know, as I progress, if I have anything like this happen, is when those embarrassing things happen, to, to keep in mind that the people that are staring don't understand. They're not doing it to be mean or rude. They just don't understand. You'll probably never see them again. So it really doesn't matter. And the people that love you don't care. That's they right. just love you. And they just, they know who you are. And they know that Parkinson's may control some of your body, but it doesn't control your soul. It doesn't control your heart. It doesn't control who you are. So uh, handling those embarrassing moments um, we have to keep in mind that people don't understand. Um, they're not trying, most people I think are not trying to be mean or rude. We'll never mm -hmm. see them again. And the people that love us just don't care. That's right. um, I, I do want to talk uh, about something else that you mentioned. And I, almost everyone I ever talked to talks about this and that's anxiety. For many people that are living with Parkinson's, um, they may have never had anxiety or experienced it in any way before, but sometimes it manifests itself in uh, Parkinson's in, you know, in strange ways or it shows up when it's not expected. Can you share with us if you've had anxiety and what that might have looked like in your own life? Sure, and absolutely. There was a very bleak couple of years early on that I had lots of anxiety and um, I dare say full on depression that it took uh, a lot of effort on my wife's part to keep me going some days. And it was just, um, you know, drop. You're 46 when you're diagnosed, you're 47, 48, the race comes along, you run the race and, um, and life is just wonderful, but topsy-turvy as well, right? Just a little crazy. Mm -hmm. And so there was a point where I finally, the nurse inside of me, voice got louder than everybody else's and said, what are you doing? If you were having cardiac issues, you'd see a cardiologist. If you, were, if you broke a bone, you'd see an orthopod. You're having mental health problems. Why aren't you seeing a mental health professional? And so I finally listened to those voices and went and got help. And it was one of the best things that I've ever done because I, I've not struggled with it nearly as bad since. It put me on a much more solid footing with my mental health, gave me some tools to work with, uh, you know, just um, in dealing with issues, uh, anxiety and depression and stress. And I strongly encourage people to, to deal with that in a positive, yeah. proactive way, because yeah. it will wreck so much of life if we don't. And again, if it was anything else in your life, you'd be out to see the doc. So why is this That's different? Right. That's right. And it, it can creep up on you. Like you can be just fine. And then all of a sudden, like you're not okay. I can remember when I was first diagnosed, I was on a trip with a, a group of women that were friends for a bachelorette party. And we took this boat ride and we were sailing 
and we were down in the Keys and we say a way out and the boat began to tip and there were no light like we we went we didn't have on life jackets or anything I'm sure they were on the boat because they have to be right but we weren't wearing them and I had this overwhelming fear of that I was going to fall off off the the boat and I was going to drown and I know how to swim and uh I wasn't falling but we we weren't like strapped in you know on a sailboat you're you're just out there on top right in the in the boat can pitch but I remember uh for the first time in my life feeling pretty anxious like oh my gosh I'm gonna die and as soon as we docked I didn't wait on any of my friends I was the first one off the boat and I moved as far away from, you know, the edge of the water as I couldn't. I love the water. We, you know, we love the ocean. We love the lake. We love the, you know, uh, pools. I said, if the bathtub's big enough, I love the water. <laughs> um, but I can remember running that day as far away as I could get from the edge because I just had this, this odd feeling that I was going to fall into the ocean and I was going to drown that day. Makes no sense, but that's kind of sometimes how Parkinson's can manifest. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, did you learn anything or take away anything from the amazing race that you have used in your management of living with Parkinson's? Was there anything specific that you think of? Absolutely. I've uh, talked a lot about it. Um, it's the word perseverance. Uh, and if you, I doubt if you saw, saw our race, but had you seen our race, you would have seen that we were behind most of the time. We hit both non-elimination legs. That is, we came in last on two specific legs that were normally you would get kicked off, but we hit a non-elim. They save you. They let you start in last place the next day, give you an extra task to do. And typically that sends them, that team home the next day, right? But we survived both of those and went on to win the thing. And I came away with the, from the race with a, with a profound sense of, you have to learn to persevere. You have to learn to stay on your journey because at, at any point along the race, if we had stopped, if we'd have checked out, if we'd have stepped back and just gave up, nobody would have ever blamed us because we did not look like winners. We did not give anybody any hope that we ever would win, but we did. And the reason we did was because we stayed on our journey. We stayed on the path that we had been called to and we persevered. And I, I define perseverance as um, there's a parking brain, just like that. It's all right. It happens to a lot to carry of us. On your course of action, to carry on your course of action, even in the mm -hmm. face of difficulty, with little or no evidence of success. To carry on in your course of action, even in the face of difficulty, with little or no evidence of success. And we never had any evidence of success, but we stayed on our journey. We stayed on our task, and we were successful in it. And that has played so many times in life since then, whether it's um, speaking, whether it's running the charity, whether it's just dealing with Parkinson's day after day. You just have to be persistent. You have to persevere. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I absolutely. That was actually, it's a great segue to my next question. I wrote down, uh, I read that you said or heard that you said, and that you had a new best friend that you hated. Oh yeah. But you introduced that best friend to perseverance. 
And you went on to say that perseverance was when there was no evidence of success. I love that because giving up, you know, if you want to live well with, with Parkinson's and you want to engage in your family and you want to see your grandchildren Mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing, giving up is just not an option. That's right. Now that doesn't mean you don't have days where you're tired and you, you sleep longer than you should, or you lay around because you just feel so bad, but you don't stay in that, in that place very long. You get up and you continue to persevere. So I, I absolutely mm-hmm. love that. And I think um, it also is, it really does tell to my next question. And there's so much research from science out there that talks about the need for purpose. And I think those two kind of marry each other. So you talk about your community. I've heard you talk about community is important in order for us to live our best, right? And I think that that ties into to perseverance and to purpose, which is critical to longevity and quality of life. It's more important than how we eat, which is critically important for us, right? Or for everyone really, For it's more important than exercise. It's more important than gender all the markers out there that that science looks at, purpose is critically important. And purpose helps us to to persevere and perseverance helps us with our purpose, I think. So I'm just wondering when you talk about community, what does your community look like? Oh, oh, you've got a huge community. (laughs) I am very fortunate now. Not only do I have a wonderful wife of 37 years, uh, we have four children, two boys, two girls, uh, got uh, one daughter-in-law at this point. My, sec- my first daughter has a very serious boyfriend, uh, so he's, he's a great guy. My youngest daughter is getting married in 18 days, but who's counting? And uh, then my youngest, my son, has a wonderful girlfriend that uh, is uh, just a sweetheart. So we've got this fa- fabulous family around me, plus two grandkids, little boy, six-year-old girl and a three-year-old boy. So they're my first community, of course. And then there's my whole U-turn Parkinson's community at the Wellness Center here that's massive. Then we've got this whole community around the world of PD Avengers who are a constant encouragement to me because you meet so many people from so many different walks of life in so many different situations that are just incredible people that you can't help but be encouraged. And then there's the whole speaking world that I've had been introduced to. So I am very, very blessed. I am far more fortunate than most, probably well beyond what I deserve. (laughs) But uh, I feel very blessed by it all. I'm glad that you have a a strong community, a strong network. I heard someone that had Parkinson's say one time that they had gotten to where they only hang out with people with Parkinson's because they understand. And I think while people with Parkinson's do understand, for me personally, I think it's very important that I hang out with people that have Parkinson's and people that do not have Parkinson's, that I make my life as full and as, um, you know, have as many people in my life that want to be friends and want to support me and allow me to support them because life is bigger than Parkinson's and sometimes it can become very jaded and very you know one directional if we only hang out with people that are living with Parkinson's well I've met some beautiful wonderful amazing people that are living with Parkinson's Uh, I think it's important that we 
catch our, we throw our uh, net out a little further than, than just that. There's lots of wonderful friends within Parkinson's. Yeah. There's gotta be some days where Parkinson's doesn't get mentioned. Yeah. You yeah, know? you don't want it to be everything, every conversation, every detail. Like some days you just don't want it to be. I'm, I would like for you to talk a little bit about uh, PD Avengers and about the uh, U-Turn Parkinson's Center Wellness Center that, that you um, have started. Tell us about that. And also if people are in your area and want to visit and they haven't, maybe they know someone with Parkinson's or maybe they have Parkinson's, um, tell me how they can get in touch with you. Oh boy. Oh, boy. Oh, there's a lot we talked about. Well, let's start with PD Avengers. Uh, PD Avengers, we are a global alliance of people with Parkinson's who have come together to see the end of Parkinson's. Um, it is our goal to end Parkinson's disease. So, so we're a global alliance. We we have just over 5,300 5, people from around the world who have joined us as PD Avengers. In addition to that, there is over 100 different organizations from Michael J. Fox right down to U-Turn Parkinson's who have come alongside with the PD Avengers as uh, organizational partners. And we help promote one another's messages and provide urgency. Um, then um, there we have over 80 different countries represented. If you go to pdavengers.org or .com rather, pdavengers.com, you'll see a little map there eventually that shows that we have almost every country in the world represented in PD Avengers. And the goal there is, like I said, to end Parkinson's disease, to add urgency to the fact that there has so little been done for Parkinson's. You know, we are, the disease was defined over 200 years ago by James Parkinson, right? And um, in that time, so little has been accomplished. We're still using one 50-year-old drug that um, we've not added to. We really only have two medications that work well for everyone. That's levodopa and exercise. And there's so much more that we need to be doing. You know, currently there's 10 million people in the world that has Parkinson's. We know it's the fastest growing neurological disease in the world. We know that it's going to get worse. We know that it's going to double, that everyone project, projects it will double by the year 2040. And yet so little is being done. We look at COVID, we look at all the vaccines that we were able to come up with in very little time. We look at what, what can be done when governments, when big pharma, when money comes together and says, we're going to fix this problem. Yes. Work. And the exact opposite of that is what happens with Parkinson's disease. If it wasn't for Muhammad Ali and Michael J. Fox and some of the great leadership that we have had, we would still be in the, in the shadows in the dark ages with Parkinson's. So as, as the PD Avengers, we just feel like there is so much more that needs to be done that we need to come together as a global voice and work towards seeing that people with Parkinson's are at the table at every step of the way in research so that researchers understand what we really need. We need to be loud advocates in the, in the realm of wellness, understanding that that really is the X factor. Because if we don't stay well, there's not going to be anybody to raise voices. There's not going to be anybody to help raise funds. There's not going to be anybody to be involved in research. We have to make this about ourselves and stay well. And then 
third is advocacy, being loud, creating a loud, loud, persistent, ongoing voice that must be heard, that we, we must do more for Parkinson's. So that's PD Avengers in a nutshell. And yes, I'm a little passionate about it. No, I, I understand, you know, the reason I do my advocacy work and the reason that I started this podcast was because at the time of my diagnosis, I was not given any education on how critical exercise is. And it's one thing to say when the, when the physicians leave in the room to turn around and say, hey, if you wanted to exercise, it'd probably make you feel better. That's one thing. It's a whole other thing to say your life depends on how much you exercise. And you need to treat it like medication. This so, is this is the example. I'm sorry. This is the example I've started using. If if Parkinson's was cancer, and we came to a cancer patient, if you had cancer, and we came to you and you said, "We have two medications that we can treat you with. We can give you chemotherapy, and we can give you radiation. That's it. So, okay, start you on chemo. Here you go. Here's a pamphlet to tell you about it." and I'll see you in six months. And you would say, wait a minute, what about the radiation? And nine times out of 10, what we are told is Parkinson's patients. Well, we don't do that here. Well, what do you That's mean we correct. don't do that here? Well, we just don't do that here. Well, why don't you do that here? You just said it's one of the two medications that we have to treat this thing with. Well, you can go figure that out on your own. And that's exactly what we do in Parkinson's. Yeah. Very, very seldom will a doctor prescribe it, very seldom will a doctor talk to you about it, and very seldom is it put as an absolute priority that you must be doing it. Yet yeah. it, is a, is a, it is as important to Parkinson's as radiation treatment is to certain cancer patients. Yeah, yeah, I talk about the importance, like you would not tell someone you're a diabetic, but then not tell them how to use insulin or how to manage their diet. You wouldn't tell someone that has heart disease uh, you know, good luck with that. I'll see you in six months. Here's some, you know, whatever. And, and it perplexes me. I have 35 years in the healthcare business and it perplexes me to no end. And it is appalling to me that Parkinson's disease is not well understood. It's not highlighted and that we don't have the, the money uh, toward a cure. And while I'm hopeful for a cure, I think most of us living with Parkinson's or many people living with Parkinson's while we're waiting on that cure, if they could just have a treatment that was effective, that stopped it, that didn't help, you know, cause dyskinesia, that we could kind of live normal lives, we would be, you know, elated to have that step forward. Um, so there's, there's much, much work to be done there. Um, you want to talk about your U-turn Parkinson's yes. Center for a little I was going to say that's, that's the exact reason why I started the U-turn was because I came out of my initial meetings with my docs and felt that way that we've talked about everything else except this. And yet you've told me that exercise is fundamentally important. As a matter of fact, my, my, one of my first physicians told me, he said, if I could do any one thing for my, all of my patients, I would make them athletes. And so I'm, I'm like, okay, well, where, where's the course? Where's the training? Where's the, where do we go? It doesn't exist. Yep. So being a nurse and being the guy that I am, I said, well, let's, we're going to have to start this. So we, we started off and here we are six years later and we have our own little uh, place here in Winnipeg. 
where we see some oh, 70, 80 people a week, or a month rather, 70, 80 different people a month who are involved in up to 10 different, what we hold 10 different classes a week, either in person or online. And we see people fighting back against Parkinson's and um, empowering themselves in their pursuit of wellness. And we are just mulling over this whole idea of putting together a course on creating PD athletes. Yeah, that's really oh, what I love it. Yeah. We I need love to become, it. become athletes in our thinking and how we approach life and how we approach um, the management of the disease. Yeah. yeah the management of the, of the disease. So, from nutrition to the specialists that we have in our life to yeah. our sleep to the actual exercise that we do, to every, every aspect of an athlete. You look at an Olympic athlete and a at what it takes for them to make a podium finish. Yep. And that's, yep. that's the way we need to think and act in dealing with our Parkinson's. You know, I encourage people to try lots of things. You know, there's rock steady, which is wonderful, but I rock climb with a whole group of people in Alexandria, Virginia. The, there's a, a lady that started it with the help of a person that's living with Parkinson's that was a, an anesthesiologist, developed Parkinson's, and uh, saw a rock climb. I, for a long time before the pandemic, I did ballet. Now, there's women in there that are young, they're adults, but they're young, they're, you know, 5'10", thin, the tight, you know, ballerina bun, and they're trying to perfect a pirouette. I'm trying to stay out of a wheelchair. But I will tell you, the, the women in there accepted me. They understood my goals were different. I had a great time. And I just encourage people, don't be afraid to try something new, something that you never tried before, and just accept whatever the outcome is. But you may gain new friends. You may gain a new uh, you know, skill. Who, who knows, right? That's right. Um, we we yeah. do get focused on specific things sometimes, like rock steady or running or cycling or, or whatever it may be. But I continually encourage folks just be active. Yeah. Whatever you love to do, go do that. Whether it be swimming, they do or a lot of it, and do lots. You, you need to get yeah. your heart rate up. You need to sweat a little bit. Yep. So whatever whatever you will do that will do that, go do that and have fun with it. Yeah. Tim, I have so enjoyed speaking to you today. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we close. Sure. I'll point, I'll point you to my book, Perseverance. Yes. Yes, it was named Perseverance. I you like it. And I like the thing. It's like seven things. What is this? Yeah, yeah seven, seven skills you need. You need to survive, thrive, and accomplish more than you ever imagined. And one of those seven skills is community. Mm. Like we talked about, so very important. Yeah, you can find it on Amazon, or if you have me come speak to your um, next conference, your next setting, I'll bring a bunch and I'll sign them for you. Awesome. How do they get in touch um, with you? You can get in touch with me through two, two different routes, uh, two important routes now. One, if you're interested in having me speak or something like that, you can go to my website, which is timsenior.ca. That's T I M S R.ca. And if you're interested in any of, any of our online classes through U-Turn, you can go to U-Turn. So it's U-T-U-R-N-P-D, U-Turn Parkinson's, dot org. All right. 
Well, Tim, thank you for sharing your story, all your knowledge, all your experiences. Um, and thank you, audience, for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe, and I'll see you Tuesday.